0: Good morning. Should we try that again? Good morning. It's good to see you guys today. Thanks for coming up. During Advent, we usually do children's devotions on the Advent wreath because it's helpful for all of us to remember what is that thing all about. And there's lots of meaning to it. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about the reason that the Advent wreath is a circle. Because like a circle really doesn't have a beginning or an end, God's love for us has no beginning. It has no end. They're usually made out of some sort of evergreen branches. Remember why? Evergreen branches, what happens in the fall? Trees that are not evergreen lose their leaves, but evergreen, are forever? they stay on, right? They're on all year long. It's a picture that's been used to help us better understand what eternal life is, is like even though pine trees don't live forever, do they? Evergreen trees are a picture of life that will go on and on and on. And in Jesus, we have that. Today, you'll notice we have three candles lit. The flame is a reminder that Jesus is the light of the world, the light shining into this sin-darkened world. We've seen the prophecy candle, which reminds us that God, in the Old Testament, gave us all sorts of prophetic words so that we would know who to look for. Prophecy is when God would talk about things that were going to happen in the future that had not happened yet, so that when they did happen, you would realize, oh, that's what God was talking about. We have lots of prophecy about who the Messiah would be. Helps us know that Jesus really is our Savior. The second candle is called the Bethlehem candle. That's one specific prophecy that said, Jesus the Christ will be born in Bethlehem. And the fact that Jesus was born in Bethlehem is very important because it helps us realize this really is Jesus, our Savior and our King. Today's candle, the third one is called the shepherd's candle. And the reason it's called the shepherd's candle is because the shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night, were the first human beings to hear the good news that a Savior has been born to us. He is Christ the Lord. So it's kind of fun to remember those very first human beings who heard the good news that the, the Savior had come. We'll thank our God for wonderful pictures like an Advent wreath to help us remember how we know Jesus is our Savior and ask Him to bless us as we listen to His word this morning. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your gift of prophecy that we could understand and believe exactly who Jesus is. You told us exactly what to look for, and in Jesus we see the Savior you promised. He was born in Bethlehem just as you promised. Help us to share the good news that a Savior has been born to us, just like your angels shared that message with the shepherds on Christmas morning. We pray these things in Jesus' name and ask you to bless us as we listen to your word today. Amen. The portion of God's Word that we'll focus our attention on this morning comes from Paul's letter to the church in Philippi, chapter 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, With thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the word of our God. Please be seated. Let's pray. May the words of my mouth... And the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So again, the the theme for this year is, is when the Lord comes, he humbles himself, he humbles his people, he humbles his enemies. Just a quick review. The beauty of that first one. That when the Lord comes, he humbles himself is, is about as counter our way of thinking as you can get. When we think of power, we think of strength that is overwhelming. And yet, what did the infinitely powerful God of overwhelming strength do? He became a helpless baby. That, that doesn't make sense to us. If God was going to come and fix the problem of sin, maybe our minds would think that the almighty, all-powerful God would, would come with all his might and power on full display. But instead, he's born a little baby, completely reliant on his mother, humble, humbly walking under God's law every single day of his life, perfect and full submission to his father's law every single moment, humbling himself even to death Yes, death on a cross, the most humiliating of all forms of death. It's a mind-boggling thing that God would reveal his glory, his power, hidden in apparent weakness. But of course he did this for you and for me because we are so desperately in need of his help. That's why when the Lord comes, he humbles his people because we need to be humbled. We need to be shown our intense need for his help. We need to be so clearly humbled that we realize we have no hope of heaven without the humble Christ child who lived and walked under God's law and offered himself as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of the world, certainly for us. And so there's clear comfort in those two themes. Today's might be a bit of a head scratcher first. Where's the comfort here? Where's the comfort in the fact that when the Lord comes, he humbles his enemies, as we summarized before the Zephaniah reading, those who reject his free grace. Where's the comfort in knowing that God rejects and will humble those who reject him? Well, our lesson from Philippians chapter four is gonna help us to see that today. Philippi, is a unique city. Philippi is in Greece, northeastern portion of Greece, often called Macedonia. And forgive me if I'm stating the obvious, but Greece is not Italy. (laughs) These are different places, right? What makes it interesting is that at the time of Paul, Philippi was a little Rome. It was just like Rome. And yet it was in Greece, (laughs) not in Italy. It was a very, very Roman city. I'll spare you a long, long history lesson, but there's some names that you've probably heard of if you have a very basic understanding of ancient history, starting with Julius Caesar. He was assassinated by a man named Brutus. Have you ever heard the Latin phrase, et tu Brute, what Julius Caesar supposedly uttered as he was being murdered by this supposed friend, Brutus? Brutus and one of his co-conspirators, Cassius, after Caesar was killed, they were trying to lead a rebellion and take over the empire. Well, two other pretty famous characters, Mark Antony and Octavian, later known as Caesar Augustus, were two generals who were fighting against Brutus and Cassius. And that final decisive battle took place in Philippi. So the battle that put the assassins out of the picture for good left Mark Antony... Antony, Mark Antony and Octavian, in charge. And there was peace. There was no more obvious threats. And so the need for a large army went away. And so since this happened in Philippi, and since some of the local Philippians had been very helpful in defeating those assassins, a lot of Mark Antony's soldiers decided to retire there. And so you had this huge number of former Roman soldiers retiring in this Greek city, Caesar Augustus made it a Roman colony. It had all these wonderful rights. The people of Philippi instantly became Roman citizens. Everyone born there was a Roman citizen. They had their own senate. They were like a little mini Rome. And this is where Paul shows up less than a century later and begins preaching the gospel. And many of these Philippians become Christians. At the beginning of this letter, as Paul is writing to them, it becomes very clear he's in prison as he refers to his chains. Well, how do you think that would go over with all these very Roman people, especially these men of military background who are fighters? When they hear that this man they love, Paul, the man who shared the gospel with them, is now imprisoned by the nation they love. Do you think some thoughts might have been racing through their head as they go through their mental Rolodex of all their connections, all the people they know back in Rome, who can I talk to to make this right? This isn't isn't right. It shouldn't be this way. Paul's one of the good guys. He shouldn't be in one of our prisons. Paul does not come to them saying, What's wrong with you guys? Why haven't you gotten me out of this God-forsaken place yet? No, having already made it very clear that he's in chains for preaching the gospel and God is working even through his chains, giving him new opportunities to share the gospel with people in the prison too, Paul closes his letter with this encouragement to rejoice. Listen Listen again. <clears throat> Rejoice in the Lord always. And knowing that that was going to be hard for these people who loved him and hated hearing him in prison, I'll say it again. (laughs) Rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. The Lord of armies, the Lord of hosts, the Lord who promises to take care of anyone who opposes the gospel of Jesus, relax, rejoice. Let your gentleness, not your military strength, not your aggressive nature, not your desire to get everything made right, let your gentleness be evident to all. You know those kind of people who are very quick to say, it's just not right. It shouldn't be this way. You ever said that? As Americans who are very blessed with our rights of citizenship, much like the people in Philippi, we've grown accustomed to a certain way of life, to certain comforts, And with comfort often comes this very narrow view of how things should be. That's just how it should be. Well, why? It's just how it should be. The word that Paul uses here to describe gentleness is the exact opposite of that kind of attitude. It's the kind of person who's very slow to take a stand and say this is how it should be unless God says this is how it should be. If God says this is how it should be, then this person is very quick to say, no, this is what God says and this is how it should be. But this person will never, ever, ever say this is how it should be unless they are absolutely 100% certain that God makes it so clear in his word that this is how it should be. This is an evangelically flexible, gentle, kind, compassionate human being. And that should probably convict us a little bit. And I bet it convicted the, the, the Philippians a little bit too. Because this does not come natural for sinful, comfortable citizens of powerful nations we become very convinced that things should be a certain way. And we're very quick to open our mouths when things aren't as black and white as we'd like them to be. And I know I've said things and taken stands where I really had no business taking a stand. And I I know you have too. This is hard for us. It's hard for us to, to rejoice always to let our gentleness be evident to everyone around us. It's much easier for us to make our opinions known to everyone around us than it is for us to make our gentleness known to everyone around us. Paul goes on talking about anxiety and, and worry. He says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your requests to God. Our brothers and sisters at Time of Grace Ministry put out an awesome, awesome five-day devotion last week, Monday to Friday, on the topic of anxiety and worry. If you don't usually watch the grace talks, I'd really encourage you to go back and watch last week's, especially if you're someone who does struggle with anxiety and worry. On Tuesday, Pastor Novotny talked about this very passage, this very verse. And and he focused in on the phrase, with thanksgiving. It might not jump out at you right away, but listen to it again. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. He talked about how it's it's very common um, knowledge in the counseling world that the human being, the human mind, can really only focus well on one thing at a time. And when a person is struggling with anxiety and worry, what has their mind's attention is the thing that's causing their anxiety and their worry. And so one counseling trick is to train that person to focus on something else, anything else. Well, from a Christian perspective, that something else is quite easy. What are you thankful for? What are you thankful to your God for? You could do all sorts of exercises. You could do the A to Z thing where you come up with an example that starts with the letter A that you're thankful for and then the letter B and then C and go all the way through the alphabet and come up with something you're thankful for. Or you could review the three themes of our Advent series so far this week, this, week, this year. I'm thankful for the fact that when the Lord comes, he humbles himself because that's exactly what I needed. I needed a savior who became a man so he could do what God expects us to do, live perfectly under the law so that he would be able to actually die the death that I deserve, suffer the hell that I deserve. But I needed him to be more than just a man because the Bible makes it very clear that No man can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for him. So if Jesus is just a humble man now and not God, he's not my savior, he's in heaven, but you and I wouldn't be. So we need him to humble us and show us that he is our God, our Lord, our King. The one who has fully and freely rescued us. We need that humble submission to God, our Lord, true God, who gives his perfect life to us. We need him to be the God that he is. It is reason for thanksgiving. And as we are attacked with worry and anxiety, as enemies of God, that the devil, this sinful world which hates God's grace and wants everything that God does not want, and our own sinful flesh, that enemy inside each and every one of us that wants to do the exact opposite of what God wants. How comforting for us to know that God will take care of those enemies. He has and he will continue to. You see, it's this weight off of us as we focus on what we are thankful for, as we focus on who God is and what he has done for us we could take our focus off of all the negative things that drive and spur worry and fear. We could focus on the God who has provided everything we need for body and life, everything we need for eternal life, the God who defeats the enemies who attack from outside and the enemies that attack from inside. God's got this. He's got it. In his very capable, almighty hands, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving for all that God has done for you, for me, present your request to God. And then finally, this verse that's probably the most famous to you in this whole section And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This peace of God transcends our understanding not in the sense that it's beyond what we're able to understand. It's not saying you can't understand it. It's saying it's better than what you can understand. You see the difference? (laughs) So what you can understand is, all right, you're anxious, you're worrying, and you just want some peace, you just want a break, and you think to yourself, boy, a little rest, a little nap, a little vacation a little time with my family, a little time with my favorite hobby, whatever it is that has given you real, actual peace before, you start to think, that's what I want. I want some of that peace. I want some of that relief. I just need that quiet afternoon to sit by my Christmas tree with the fireplace on and take a breath. God's not saying that that peace is bad. He's just saying this peace is a lot better. Better a lot better. This peace of God, which is so much better than any kind of peace you've ever experienced. This peace that comes only through the humble Christ who humbles us, who humbles even his enemies. This peace is so much better because it will guard Now there's a picture the Philippians understood because they understood military things. They understood what a good Roman soldier, what a good group of Roman soldiers did to guard the objective. If their superiors said guard this person, guard this building, guard this city, they guarded it like no one else in world history at that time. And Paul says, this peace of God, which is so much better than anything you've ever experienced, it will guard your heart and your mind. Now, in the Greek language, the heart is often referred to as the seat of emotion and thought. So think of it as the source of all your thoughts, all your feelings. And the mind is all your thoughts and all your feelings. And Paul is saying, this peace of God will guard it. Will guard it all. Will guard the source of every thought and emotion you have. It will guard every emotion and thought you have against what? The enemies. The enemies. Those who reject God's free grace. The devil the world which hates God's free and faithful grace, your own sinful nature, my own sinful nature, which hates God and his free and faithful grace, the peace of God, which is so much better than anything we could ever enjoy on this earth, will guard you, not could guard you, should guard you. It will guard you. God's peace is constantly guarding against those enemies who want to rip you away from God's free and faithful grace. It will not happen because God's own peace is guarding you, guarding me. And so may this peace of God which transcends all understanding guard your hearts and minds. It will. It's done. In Christ Jesus. Amen.